0: Preacher in Jesus' name this morning, I've been asked to give a series of four messages in Maryland on the home in August, and so I thought I'd kind of do the normal here. I always try them out on the prairie people, and if it goes really bad, I start from square zero again or whatever it takes to try to rectify the situation. So anyhow, uh, the first message... Uh, is entitled The Magnitude of the Opportunity of Having a Christian Home. Robert Salee James was born near Big Whippoorwill Creek in Lick Skillet, Logan County, Kentucky. He was the son of John M. James and Mary Polly James. Robert married Zelda Cole on December 28, 1841. His children were Alexander, Robert, Jesse, and Susan. He attended Georgetown College in Georgetown, Kentucky, graduating in 1843 with honors and a Bachelor of Arts. His family soon relocated to Clay County, Missouri, where Zerelda's, Mother and stepfather were living, but Robert commuted back to Kentucky, eventually received a Master of Arts from Georgetown. He was considered a gifted student and a skilled orator. James was a noted revivalist. He was among the founders of William Jewell College in 1849. April 1850, James left his family for California to bid his, visit his brother, Drury James, who had already relocated to the state. He also planned to prospect for gold and preached to the crowd of gold miners during this California gold rush. Shortly after arriving in California in August 1850, he contracted cholera and died on August the 18th, 1850, in the Hangtown Gold Camp, later known as Placerville. He was buried there in an unmarked grave. James's death left his family saddled with debt and many of his possessions, including one of the slaves were auctioned off to pay them. A second life lived. Alexander Franklin James was born in Kearney, Missouri, to Baptist minister Reverend Robert Sally James, and his wife, Zerelda James. He was a Confederate soldier and a guerrilla. In the post-Civil War, he was an outlaw. The older brother of outlaw, Jesse James. Frank was also part of the James Younger gang. After the Northfield, Minnesota robbery, he said, I have been hunted for 21 years. I have literally lived in the saddle. have never known a place, a day, of perfect peace. It was one long, anxious, inexorable, eternal vigil. And I may add to that, that Zerelda literally lost her left arm over her son's behavior. The feds raided their cabin, threw in explosives to rout up who they thought were the James gang. The James gang was not there, and and Zerelda, Zerelda's left arm was blown off. How she related to that, I'm not sure. Can you imagine being a mother in a home like that? Home, what is it? A house? This is the 1848 definition of home. Webster's 1848, a house, a close place, or place of rest. Home is the sacred refuge of our life. It's intended to be the result of the most sacred union on earth, Christ at the exclusion of all others my spouse, at the exclusion of all others. And from those two vowed commitments come the only true definition of home, as God intended it. Anything else is really not home. I was impressed as I studied with this. Within the framework of those two commitments, God at the exclusion of all others, my spouse at the exclusion of all others, defines what God calls L-O-V-E. Recently, I was listening to, uh, uh, I, I think, a debate on uh, or, or a discussion by Robbie Zacharias on alternate lifestyles. And he was being challenged, like, how do you deal with this, and where does a Christian come in on this? And he, he, made, he made this profound observation, and I found it extremely interesting. There's four Greek words for love. Storge, which is parental empathy love. Phileia, which is friend love. Eros, which is romantic love. Agape, which is unconditional God love. And only in marriage do these four complete themselves as defined as a home. You think about that. The only place your child will learn entire rounded out God love is at home. Just think about that. If they miss it, There's nowhere else to get it. Now, we're not talking, they're not going to get it in a year or two. They're not going to get it as a learned individual. I mean, they can learn it through their commitment to Christ. But, I mean, it's going to come difficult because of all the baggage that's being hung on from something that was less than a home, so we have the ability to 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 have a home that we decide to have. We have the ability to choose how our home is going to be. We have a choose. We can choose to neglect one of these four definition of love. You can. You can, you can have your marriage without any romance. And a lot of people do. There's Christian marriages there. I mean, I was in, I was in Kentucky having, having a weekend of meetings. And I mean, there was a couple there, like they weren't covering it up. I mean, there was no way. I mean, it broke right out in the, in the, in the, uh, whatever you call it behind the church where everybody visits afterwards, wherever. I mean, it's like, She snapped him off, and he came right back at her. And they turned their backs on each other, and they were angry. You can do that. You can have a home with no empathy. You can do it. You can have a home that everything is conditioned on everybody's performance. There's nothing unconditional about this. Okay, I love you. I love you if you do this. And if you don't do that, you aren't going to get it. You can do that. I can do that. That's our choice. We can make those decisions. Brothers and sisters this morning, we have no control over the results of those decisions. None. It's like everything else that's against God. You can sin against God. You can do it all you want. You can go and you can burn down the cities. You can shoot people. You can do anything you want to do. And go home. You're not caught necessarily. But you will pay the price. We can control the amount of sin we sin, but we never control the results of that sin. That applies to the home. So, our homes stand or our homes fall? Depends on the combination of these four loaves. That, brothers and sisters, is tremendously thought-provoking and challenging. That sobers me up. So how important is the home and the family? So what do you want your home to be 20 years from now? What do you want it to be? And I know there's variables where, you know, there's things we can't control. I know there's, you know, our our children make decisions, whatever. But, you know, okay, so the young, young couples here, uh, whatever. Alan said that, uh, I remember him saying, like, I don't have any, much experience with this, so you're gonna have to tell us how to do it, whatever. So maybe this is it, uh, but they aren't here this morning, so we've got some other ones anyhow, so I, I guess they could listen some other time, but, so where do you wanna be? What do you want your family to be 20 years from now? And that applies to all of us. Just what do you wanna be? I mean, I remember uh, kind of <laughs> challenging the thought. Uh, to me, um, Homer Miller stood up in our minister's meeting in there one time, and he says, you know, take your choice. What kind of church you want 20 years from now? Take your choice. It's, it's, it's yours to decide. He said if you want it to be conservative, then you, then you need to cater to the conservatives. If you want it to be liberal, just, contain, just cater to the conservatives. You can pick your church what it's going to be 20 years from now. As a minister. It's yours. So how do I. How do I keep. Personally. From running in vain. And laboring in vain. How do I do that? Well I say. I I don't. First of all, I, I should have said this and I don't want this to be a disclaimer because, but, but it's honest. I mean, you gotta be honest. I gotta be honest. It's like, I don't have all the answers. As longer, older I get, the less answers I have in life. So, okay, it's like, I don't stand up here as an authority. I, I, I just, just, let's just explore this together. All right. So, the importance of our family, is determined pretty much solely on our priorities. What you value, what I value, I will prioritize either consciously or subconsciously, whether I admit it or whether I don't. That's how it is. And so we've got to get real about what's important. You know as well as I that good never comes without effort, and you know as well as I that dysfunctional homes will just happen on their own. You don't have to work. I don't have to work to have a dysfunctional home. All I got to do is just do my own thing as a dad. Mom does her things, uh, uh, you know, as a mom, and the children do their things as children. And you uh, and a dysfunctional home, what well, just happens? Yeah, all you have to do is simple, do your own thing. That's all to do. Everybody does does their own thing. Either the home will explode or it will implode, one of the two. And and so it boils down to priority. Back to Frank and Jesse. Frank and Jesse were home while dad was going to college. Frank and Jesse were in Missouri while Dad was in Kentucky getting a master's degree of arts. Frank and Jesse were in Missouri when Dad was out for revival meetings. Frank and Jesse were in Missouri when Dad was out in California intending to get rich and preach at the same time. And Frank and Jesse's family were straddled with debt while dad was everywhere but home. And I'll remind myself, along with us all, we don't have to be five or eight or 10 states away. To be everywhere but home, you can actually be sitting at your supper table and be pretty much everywhere but home. That's possible. I've got a lot of advice, especially as a young minister. I got a lot of advice, and I ask for advice. The absolute worst advice I ever got was a bishop that ordained me. The absolute worst advice I ever got from a fellow minister. And he said this, go whenever anyone calls you to preach, God will take care of your family. He said, "I would," and I—that was his quote. And then he explained. He said, "I would get phone calls to come and preach here, there, everywhere." And he said, "Sure, I'll come." He said, "My wife would be crying in the background." Absolute worst advice. I'm glad. I'm, I'm okay. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. All right. But, but I saw through that one. All right. And, and I'm glad I did. One of the watershed moments in my ministry that drove that home and I decided would never happen again is when I came to Maranatha Bible School by myself and my third daughter was three months, six months... Rochelle, I was gone three and a half weeks, and I met my wife and family in the airport, and I went like this to my daughter, and she went like this. And I said to myself, Dennis, never again. I'm not sure what, how Maranatha operates, but if they get me, they get my family. If they don't want my family, then I'm sorry, they're going to have to look for somebody else that's willing to make that trade. But I will never, ever do that again. And by God's grace, I didn't. And I'm glad I didn't. So we need to seriously pursue God's directives for child training what biblical protect, uh, principles, how we put them into everyday life and produce godly results. And so priorities, I don't know. I, I'm old, okay? My children are all left. I, I don't know. I, I hope, I hope that the young couples in this congregation, when they get together, they talk about child training. I, I hope you do. I mean, as as a young couple, sitting sitting down with older couples, you know, 10, 12, 15 years, my senior, saying, like, what do you do? How how does this work? Um, Very practical. I mean, when your child throws a temper tantrum and throws himself on the floor and screams till they pass out, literally, What do you do? Well, the way we did it, we panic, all right, and it was like it's, it's shaped little messy, perfect, and you know whatever, and and finally go, <laughs> and they start coming to, and and and, and you know and it's like oh, 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 sweetie, you know like all oh, this stuff, ah, uh, ah, uh, no, 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 no. I mean, it's like. We thought you're going to die. My brother says. Throw a glass of water in her face and then go in another room. And when she comes through, there's nobody going to be there. But you watch around the corner, make sure everything's all right. But, you know, make sure she don't see you. And it is Amazing. I mean, babies don't like water in their face, all right? Like, it didn't drown them, but just enough to, whatever. And, and it got no attention. I mean, she got up, and she looked around, and nobody around, and it's like, oh, well, I, I guess that didn't work this time, you know, whatever. I'm not saying that was, we just had a very, very, I, I think she turned out very well, okay? But, I mean, this, this, this little child, I mean, he's like, definition of carnality and rebellion and self-will uh, is like you talk about pull their parents out of their little whatever. I'm not sure what you call it, but so, you know, it's like, so how, how does this work? You know, uh, so I ask you, how everybody here how many how many books on child training you have in your library now i'm not saying you got to get it all out of a book we got some really good help out of a book and i'm not sure these books are printed anymore uh fugate made a very very good one um and and there's several of them i mean it's like get very practical i mean if the children are given mama fit and she pours milk in the orange juice accidentally. You know what? You have orange juice and milk mixed for breakfast. If it's curdled, it's curdled. That is a result of their misbehavior. It ain't going to hurt anybody. It's not going to kill anybody. All right? Everybody's going to live, but they understand. That was one illustration. I didn't have in our house. All right. So That was one illustration in the book. I, I declare, you know, it's like, And and I don't say you have to have books, but do you talk shop at least? No, that's a that's that's a term, all right. So welders talk shop, welders talk about welding, you know, and woodworkers talk about work woodworking and farmers talk about that's called talking shop. Child parents, do you talk shop with parents? Is it high enough priority that it gets some discussion? Am I willing to humble myself before another couple and say, like, we're not getting it together. Can you help me out? We're struggling. Maybe one throws herself on the ground other than the next one could care less about the whole world if it even stopped. Couldn't get them motivated if you had to. And they're all in the same family. So how do you deal with that? What do you do with a son that lays down in the garden with one arm up, weeding with the other arm and pushing himself down the row? What do you do with that? It happened in our family, and one of the, one of the girls said, to, that was a son, and one of the girls said, you know, I'll weed if you do. Oh, no, no, I can do it. And he gets up and, and he weeds like a man. All right? Because the alternative wasn't too good. I think it was washing cars or doing something. I'm not sure, but it made weeding look easy. All right? So, I mean, that's just stuff that happens. And it's like memories in your mind, whatever. Uh, But you do you talk shop? Are you too proud to accept advice from somebody when their children misbehave? Do I look around and excuse myself and say, you know what, (laughs) Uh, you know, most of the the families in our church ain't getting it together too good anyhow, so we're we're about on par. You know, this family has this problem, this family has this problem, and this family has that problem, and this family does this, and this family does this. Well, this is our problem, so they have to put up with us because, you know, and and so we just kind of ignore the problem. Because we're somewhere, hopefully, above the lowest common denominator. So where else are our, are our children going to find? The definition, a well-rounded, healthy definition of godliness. It is an incredible opportunity. The magnitude of the opportunity is incredible for us as parents to take the responsibility serious, to prioritize and to put into practice the best we can. I know we don't get it right. All right? Nobody gets it perfect. We're in the flesh. Okay? I I get that. Okay? But do the best we can to define in our children's mind what true godliness is. So, that when our children start their home, they have at least a good foundation to start on and build from there. They don't have to go to ground zero and, and like, well, what's it even mean for dad to love mom? What does it even mean to have Empathy in the home. That the parents actually care about the children. The the children actually care about the parents. What is that? They at least have a basic idea. And it gives them the opportunity. For God to fill their life. With satisfaction and, and success. Home a close place or a place of refuge a sacred place of refuge so the question comes who all should be learning at home alright so we have the parents and we have the children and then the parents teach the children right right is <clears throat> that what happens? I think I've shared this before, but Dave Fry asked in the chapel here, how many people, how many of the students helped finish raising their parents? And I mean, he got perplexed looks all over the audience, and I was one of them. It's like, me raising my parents? And then he reworded it and he said, so how many of you are the oldest in the family? So sometimes we think that the children are the ones to be taught by the parents, but really that's, that's only one side of the magnitude of the opportunity. You ever meet somebody that refused to learn? Like, experience really didn't mean anything to him. It's like, they just keep doing the dumb thing over and, over and over and over and over and over again. My brother's, one of his famous quotes is, if you always did what you always do, you always get what you always got. I mean, you can be dumb forever. So we have the opportunity... As parents to learn from our children. Learn about ourselves while training our children. Somehow or the other, you know, it's easy to say, you know, before you have children, it's like, oh, well, if they did this, you know, know, they did, 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 you know, this produces this and this happens that. And, you know, and you have all the equations, you have all the answers and everything else. But somehow or other, when you have children, uh, the answers don't come quite as quick. So what do you do with that, though? Do we take opportunity to learn about ourselves? You So, so if the children are in the way, for example... If I stop and think that through, probably the main problem is not that the children are in the way. The problem is that dad doesn't have the amount of patience he should and compassion and love. All right? Because children naturally get in your way physically. All right? You're trying to do something and... And you're trying to move from one place to the other, and you got children I mean if you've got a good relationship with your children, they're going to be around you and, and it's like whatever. so the sooner we recognize where we need to grow spiritually, the sooner this the, the sooner then the children will benefit from that spiritual growth. Make sense? So if I'm lacking storge love, then I need to ask myself, what am I doing about my lack of empathy? If I am not, if I am lacking in phileo love, then I need to ask myself, why am I not a friend of my family? And if I'm honest with myself and I, and and it's, I mean, it's obvious, then, then I need to change something. If I'm lacking in Eros love, am I romantically involved with my wife? And if I'm not, why am I not? And if I'm not, my children will know I'm not. They will. I'm pretty old and I'm pretty, come from a pretty, st- Oh, how could I say this? Uh, respectably, uh, res- say this respectably. Well, I'll just say this. I never saw my dad kiss my mom, alright? And my brother caught him once, alright? Walk in the kitchen and dad dad was kissing mom. I mean, and it's like now this puts everything on the charts, man. I mean, that's way off the top of the charts. All right. So so I understand it's where I came from. All right. So I don't believe in that, I'll be honest with you. I just don't. I I think our children need to see dad and mom kissing. Now you can throw me out the door on your ear on my ear. I don't whatever. But Unless somebody gives me a good reason why dad should not kiss mom in front of the family, I'm gonna stick by that. I seriously do. I read one time in the book, in a book, that one of the best ways to teach your children romantic love is when you come home and you kiss your wife and pat her on the behind. That, that's that's probably one of the best ways to teach. Okay, it's just like, yeah. Maybe that's a little get a little too practical, but yeah, my children see me patting my wife on her behind. All right, it's like okay, let's just get that past us and get on with a different subject. But I, I'm serious about this. I'm not kidding you. I am not kidding you. Agape love. Does my relationship with my family depend entirely on their performance? Or do I take in consideration human failure? Do I love my wife when she wrecks the car? Now I'm getting really practical here. Do I love my wife when she wrecks the car? Pastor told me, he said, one of the most pitiful situations that he saw between husband and wife was the wife wrecked the car, and he happened somebody he didn't know. All right. He happened to be a witness. He stopped. The lady was emotionally devastated. What did she need at that minute? A supportive husband. Well, you know what she got? Her husband showed up on the scene and chewed her up and down and up and down. Performance. She cooked cooked good meals, probably got a kiss. She wrecked the car. It was all over. I disappoint those around me with criticism, lack of understanding when they're doing their best and when they are experiencing failure. I speak to myself as much as anything you know one of the fallacies, tremendous fallacies and rationales that destroy families is that whenever something happens, whatever that something is, it may be. Whatever it is, but it's unknown who did it that that thing will be pursued and pursued and pursued and pursued and pursued till it's laid squarely onto somebody's shoulder and they are they are effectively chewed out for it. It will not rest till it lays on somebody's shoulder square. Can we give place for failure? Now understand, carelessness can be cannot be just passed up. All right, but this idea that there's hundred percent accountability for everything that happens and it's got to be pursued. And righteous indignation, righteous, meet, meet it out so everybody understand how it's supposed to happen. Let's flip the coin right over on the other side and say and ask the question, and I'm talking as a dad, what would it be like? If your family, my family, your family, as a dad, would not accept you till you got everything perfect. How would you feel? A friend of mine told me, he said, I grew up, you would know this person. I grew up always in the way of my dad. I was always in the way. But ask the question, if that's the case, who is in the way of who? The dead was in the way of creating a relationship with his son. I think that's bigger than the other one. So is your, are your children liabilities? Are they assets? Can they be who they are at the age they are? Do you give them too big of a job and chew them out for not being able to do it? Do you mock them when they're doing their best? we got to move. I think I'm going to be able able to get done here. So you got to focus on the goal, all right? Focusing on the goal. Child training is not easy. Sometimes, quite frankly, the road is long and it's grueling. What can or can't they do? Where can or can't they go? What can or can't they wear? Who should be their friends? How much should they be around their spiritually lackadaisical relations, cousins, whatever? What kinds of jobs are appropriate? How can we motivate the unmotivated? What is the appropriate punishment for the infraction at hand? How do we handle poor manners? What's the difference between passiveness and rebellion? How do we avoid sibling rivalry and sibling disrespect flare-ups? How much do we leave hoping they will just finally grow up? Is it okay for our child to be packing a pamper and a bottle at four years old? What can we do when they're still wetting their bed at 12? Okay, get it. It is, It is. those answers don't come easy. And they come fast and hard. You know, when your children's little, you just say, do this, do that, do that. And, and if they teach, teach them well, they get obedience. When you get up to tweens, teens, the different story. Some people act like their children are still two and three years old. Do that. Do this. No, you can. Yes, you can. At a seventeen-year-old, that work? No. You know what? They're thinking and they're rationalizing on their own. It has to make sense. So sometimes it seemed like, oh, I mean, this is more than I can take. So should we try to keep hold of the reins or should, like they do at the rodeo, just let the reins go and let her buck? By the way, you do that, you'll have a rodeo. Rest assured, you'll have a rodeo. Potential burnout is realistic. Unfortunately, we see marriages and homes breaking up sometimes. As in all things, there's smooth times in life, there's rough times in life. And as parents, it seemed like the multiple options and the wisdom that it takes is just, I mean, the options are endless. Like, should we do this? Will we have this option? We have that option. We have all kinds of options. And and how are we going to do this? But one option is, should never be, pardon me, one option should never be, Giving up that option should ne- it should never be on the radar screen. Whether it's marriage, whether it's child training, whether it's serving God, whatever. Uh, that option is not even on the table. Now Satan will put that option in front of you. You need a you need to reject that, and and he's not going to take one rejection a, a, as being sufficient. Rest assured. But you gotta tell them, no, that's not a, that's not an option. That isn't even on the radar screen. I'm not even gonna think about it. Get behind me, get out of here. I will inject right here. I believe it's beneficial from my own personal experience to actually vocalize that out of your mouth. Now I don't know what all Satan knows, what he doesn't know. He's not omnipresent. He can't, like the Bible says if he didn't know him, what's going to happen end, end up, what's going to end result of Jesus crucifixion, he never even got it started. Okay. So I'm not sure what he knows, but I can tell you one thing. If, if, if it's just observation and you vocalize this personally, Satan, get behind me in clear English. I can guarantee you, he knows what's what's up. There's no question whether he's getting the message. Otherwise, in my mind, sometimes a little foggy. Like, does he know what I'm thinking? Does he know this or does he know that? You vocalize it. He's a prince of the power of the air. He works on an earthly basis, and he understands clear English. You will never regret sticking out, sticking with it, and giving it your best. So it's a goal. And let's not let Satan take that goal away from us. Do whatever you need to do. Ask advice. Work with your spouse. Implore God for help. Do anything within the perimeters of the will of God. And you'll never regret it. Never regret it. My brother-in-law, Richard Strait, told me one time that someday, this is when all our children are home, he said someday there's a day coming when you look back and you will say that the best days of your family when all, was when all your children were home and they were all had their feet under your table. He said there's a day coming when you look back and say that. Now, I'm not minimizing what happened after the children started leaving home. Okay, I'm not minimizing that. I'm just simply saying he said that. Strange that he said that. Because at that point, I mean, it's like we're up to here in child training. I mean, it's like, yeah, like okay. So you're telling me that I'm up here and I got all these decisions to make and and all these options and all this stuff, and you're going to tell me that you're going to look back at this and say, "Oh, that was the best time of my life." And I'm thinking to myself, "Yeah, right. Yeah, right." right. He was right. When we went camping, just sitting around the campfire, roasting marshmallows, singing songs, and the longer it goes, somehow about in our family, I mean, they always start out really serious and whatever, but somehow or the other, they they tended after a while to get sillier. I mean, you know, it's like silly song. That's probably because we're all getting tired and tired and tired and whatever, but Yeah. I just glanced at the news this morning and, and I was, I don't even know what the title it was, like, what do you look back at and remember from your childhood? But it, it's challenging, okay? And we're gonna take care of this, I mean, take time for this, because I'm already 25 or 12, and, and I'm getting close to the end, I think I'm about that much notes left, so, but, but, alright, so, your best memories at home, can you reproduce them? Are you making memories that are going to stand out in your children's life. Okay, you know I'm biased. You know I like campfires. You know that I have said that if I pull in from work and my wife's heading for the campfire ring with, with supper, you know Dad's going to have a good evening. You know all that. And so I'm biased and everything else. All right. But I'm telling you, you need a campfire ring. And if it's not literal, it needs to be a solid with my bias replacement. (laughs) Something your family can do together. Not just once a year. Look back at just we were there and we had fun and we had our friends over and we had, in my case, marshmallows and... Chocolate bars and they call them s'mores or, or whatever, uh, what they, what they call them, things on a stick. I forget right now. Uh, peasles, alright, peasles, okay, it's like we had peasles and, 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 alright. And I, right. and, and I was interested and I looked at the comments and most of the comments were memories from 11, 12, 13, and 14. I found that extremely interesting. Sometimes we wonder, how do we relate to tweens? That's 10 to 14. How do we relate to tween? I can tell you one thing. It takes extra effort. And if that extra effort is put forth in a tween's life, it's going to have a big impact on how they relate to others and their definition of home. You say at 15, 16, they start developing their own interests. Follow me? And they start emotionally, their experiences broadening. But at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, very impressionable age. Make sure that your children can look back to 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and have fond memories of either a campfire or a, an equivalent, hopefully even better. I'm not saying a campfire is ultimate. I'm just simply saying, spending time with your family. Investing, making sure that that is high priority. Do you remember which garden, which year the garden produced the most? Do you remember when dad got the most hay off of the field? Do you remember when there was more your dad or mom did this or that? You know, you won't remember. But you'll remember when it went to Niagara Falls, and you remember the day your dad took you fishing? And you'll remember the time I'm, I'm, I'm saying it myself. Okay, the time that we went to uh, just across the border up here in a Indian reserve reservation and taught Indians uh, summer Bible school for two weeks, and literally got ate up with the mosquitoes. I had forty mosquito bites on one arm. I and went swimming every day. I mean, it, had, it was like forty feet deep. You can count the rocks on the bottom. You you can't replace all that. And on the way home, the car broke down, and we snickered in the back seat. And my dad did not see any humor in that, because we told him before he should buy a new car for this trip. And he said, "Oh no, everybody else don't buy new cars. I'm gonna drive this." And well, we got there, and the transmission went out, and and so he got new, he got a transmission rebuilt. And then in Wisconsin, just over here, about an hour. The transmission gave out and we snickered in the back seat and my dad was not humor, humorated. <sighs> Whatever. <clears throat> well, he ended up buying a new car that afternoon and we went home in a new car. So Anyhow, we thought we were cool because we had to have black cars. Oh, I'm getting off of the story here, ain't I? And this one was Aqua and it had a radio area to boot. And none of us boys knew how to take a radio area off. We thought we were cool. But my brother-in-law blew it all away when he said, oh, that's simple. And he got out his adjustable wrench and took off the radio. And it's like, anyhow, memories, all right? It's just memories. And it's like, no, we misbehaved. We shouldn't have snickered. We just, you know, it's like whatever. But, all right, live for God in such a way that when you are older, you and your children can look back and enjoy it the second time. One of the fun things about having a family reunion, is like, oh, remember the time CJ did this? Or well, remember the time Rochelle did this? Or well, remember the time when Rolanda, whatever, and, and we just howl. I mean, it's just like, and, and it's, it's good times. So I'm telling you, seize the opportunity God has given you today. Seize the privileges. Seize the blessings, and I'll guarantee you, God will never let you down. Let's kneel in prayer.